You are listening to African Father in America podcast by Simon Javano Kelly live from Seattle, Washington, USA. Greetings, 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 beautiful people. My name is Simon Javan Okelo. I am excited to be here with you for another amazing episode of the African Father in America podcast. I don't know where you are joining me from, but I am in Seattle, Washington, and I am grateful for your time. I'm grateful that you've chosen to join me for another incredible session here of the African Father in America podcast. I was having a conversation with someone yesterday, a potential client for One Vibe Media, my company, and he was saying, how do you manage to do five episodes every week? How do you do an episode every day? Why are you so consistent? You know, how do you do that? And uh, I just told him that it's my way of life. You know, I'm used to doing this every day. So. I think if you want to get something done, look for a busy person. If you want to, uh, you know, be incredible at what you do, you have to stay consistent. So that's why I do this every day. And I just want to thank you all for joining me. I see you all on TikTok, on LinkedIn, on uh, Facebook, on uh, on Twitter, on YouTube. On YouTube is where I'm really, really putting in a lot of work and I'm trying to grow the African Father in America podcast over there. I was anticipating a guest, but for some reason, uh, she uh, might be learning, running a little late, so we are going to start without her. But I uh, just want you to know that we might have a guest today. Uh, I hope you're all doing well. I hope you are all doing well. Let me know in the comments where in the world you are joining me from. Here in Seattle, it's early morning. I have uh, my cup of coffee. I'm just waking up here. I see that I'm being joined by my people in Kisumu. Eriko Gembo is someone I used to see in Manyata, where I grew up, right in my neighborhood. Eric, I hope you are doing well. Thank you for joining me for today's episode of the African Father in America podcast. You know, as usual, we have a new African proverb. This one that we are discussing today is from the Ashanti Ashanti tribe, and it says that there is no medicine to cure hatred. There is no medicine to cure hatred. What does this bring to your mind when you hear this uh, new African proverb that we are sharing today that says that there is no medicine to cure hatred? What does it bring to your mind? Uh, this is a beautiful proverb. I'm going to share three nuggets of wisdom about it, uh, and I also want you to share with us your own perspective, you know, what is it about this proverb that, uh, you know, inspires you, that moves you, uh, that makes you think of something, you know, what does this proverb bring up for you, you know? Um, we all know that hate, just the, the thinking, the feeling of hate, hate uh, when you hate something or when you hate someone, you know, it's it's a destructive feeling. You feel like destroying that thing or destroying that person. And a lot of the time when you see, even if you Google hate, you will find very interesting videos of, uh, you know, of what it means and people's reaction when they hate something. You know, I come from Kenya where, you know, over the years we've learned that tribalism is a, is a demonstration of hatred. Uh, between people from different tribes. And uh, we've seen situations where after post-election violence in Kenya, thousands of people are murdered because they are from a different tribe. That's an example of hate, you know. Uh, lately also, uh, you know, we've seen here in America, there has been a lot of, uh, you know, hate and race-related uh, brutality that is meted against black people. A lot of the time, by white men, young white men, uh, sometimes policemen against black people. You know, those are other examples of, of hate where there's so much rage uh, towards somebody else, you know. But uh, let's come back to this Ashanti proverb and listen to what 
our ancestors were thinking when they left us with this beautiful proverb. It says that there is no medicine. There is no medicine for curing hate. There is no medicine for curing hate. Um, I just want to know where all of you are joining me from today. Every day I continue to interact with incredible people uh, through this African Father in America podcast. And uh, I just want to make sure I also uh, make sure you feel seen, you know, during this show. So while you type in in the chat where you are joining me from, I just want to make a quick announcement about an amazing festival that I have been producing for the last uh, nine years, you know the Madaraka Festival, it's happening in multiple cities for the first time, you know. Uh, the Madaraka Festival USA Tour this year is being uh, headlined by the amazing Saudi Soul uh, from uh, Kenya, you know. And it's starting in New York on May 16th uh, at Avin Plaza, May 21st at Buckhead Theatre in Atlanta, May uh, 24th in Dallas at the House of Blues and May 26th in Seattle, Washington at Benaroya Hall. I would love for you to be there. If you haven't, uh, you know, uh, if, you, if you don't have a ticket yet, make sure you go to madarakafestival.com and uh, you should be able to grab your ticket there. But also, if you want to get away with a free ticket, you should join us. Tomorrow we will be on Instagram. Uh, on the Madaraka Festival page at Madaraka Festival two times tomorrow in the morning at 7 a.m. in the morning and also at 10 a.m. in the morning and we will have some of the artists, some of the producers, some of the volunteers, some of the promotional partners who are helping us make this year's Madaraka Festival possible. So uh, I just wanted to share that to make sure you are all kept abreast. Now, uh, back to our proverb from the Ashanti community in uh, West Africa. There is no medicine to cure hatred. I have three nuggets of wisdom related to this beautiful proverb, and then I'll just leave you with that. Uh, the first nugget of wisdom says that once hatred has taken root, it is very difficult to eradicate it, you know? Once Hatred has taken root. It's very difficult to eradicate it. Just give me a moment. I have to uh, bring on our guest here today. So, uh, bear with me for a moment. Hey, KD. Can you hear me okay, KD? You're currently muted. So if you're on mute, we will be able to hear you just fine. Okay. Uh, bear with me for a moment. I'm bringing on my guest here. Hey, KD, how are you? I can't hear you. I hear you. Can you hear me? No? I hear you just fine. So uh, keep speaking. Just say hello. I heard you when you spoke earlier, KD. Go ahead and say hello. Hey, KD. <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll, we'll bring her back on. That was our guest for today's show. Her name is KD Hall. She's the founder of KD Foundation. So she will join us in a moment. It seems her connection is not uh, good at the moment. Anyhow, I'm just grateful uh, for those of you who are joining us on TikTok, for those of you who are joining us on uh, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on, on Twitter. Uh, you know, this is work that you cannot do on your own, you know. Uh, you have to, you have to, okay, let's welcome the guest. <laughs> One moment. Hey, KD, can you hear me now? Okay. You hear me better now? I hear you great. Can you hear okay. me? Okay. Yes, I hear you great. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing good. I'm so sorry for being a little late. It's been a really busy week. I apologize. No problem. No problem. No problem. It's uh, it's just wonderful that you made the time for us to connect today. I know that uh, it's been a long time coming. Uh, our conversation today uh, should have happened, you know, some time back. So thank you for being uh, one of the incredible women that were picked by 
uh, Health Commons project to participate in this uh, series of conversations, highlighting, you know, uh, African women and black women in our community here that are doing amazing work, especially when it comes to COVID-19 mitigation. Uh, so maybe I'll just, uh, for those who are meeting KD for the first time, KD is the founder of KD Foundation, and uh, she's doing amazing work. She's actually an acclaimed communicator, storyteller, filmmaker, professor, leadership expert, and uh, she's literally leading the 21st century opportunity for diversity and inclusion. And this is these are just a few of her accomplishments. And in addition to that, she is also an, you know a four-time Emmy award-winning. Uh, you know, <laughs> you have so much that uh, you need to be given flowers for. So I just wanted to throw in as much as I could in this introduction, uh, and also to share with you that during this, uh, you know, podcast, for every episode, we start with an African proverb. So for today's episode, we are discussing a beautiful proverb from the Ashanti tribe. It says, there is no medicine to cure hatred. Um, and I shared three nuggets of wisdom about this proverb. I shared three thoughts that my team and I prepared for today's show. Uh, and quickly, I'll just share them in order to in order to uh, you know, warm you up before we hear your own perspective about this proverb. And then we'll continue on with the rest of the show. Uh, and just to also bring you up to speed quickly, for the rest of the show, you know, you'll talk about the proverb briefly, what it, what it, uh, what it brings up for you. You will talk about uh, a childhood story, you know, something that inspires the work that you do currently with your foundation. Uh, then we'll talk, uh, we'll talk a little more about the work that you do, especially in relation to COVID-19 mitigation. What are some of the activities you've been doing over the last few years uh, to help with? Uh, even solving COVID-19 miscommunication, uh, but also what is it that you could do with this funding opportunity that is available through Health Commons uh, project. So uh, the first nugget of wisdom related to today's proverb says that once hatred has taken root, it is difficult to eradicate, you know, uh, like racism, you know, it's very difficult. I know you deal with similar subjects in some of your areas of expertise, you know, it's very difficult to take racism away, you know, it, it's like a disease, you know, tribalism. You know, I grew up in a place uh, in Kenya where tribalism is literally like a virus, you know. It's very hard to control it because it has taken root. Um, and so I want us to talk just briefly. Uh, the, second, uh, the second nugget of wisdom says here that forgiveness is a powerful tool, you know. And we see this, uh, you know, as an example in South Africa after the apartheid uh, era, there were a lot of truth, justice and reconciliation commissions in Liberia after the war. There were truth, justice and reconciliation commissions. And wherever in the world where people are really, really invested in uh, rebuilding their communities, especially when it comes to issues with hate, they have to heavily, heavily invest in uh, how do we forgive? You know, in Rwanda, after the Rwandan genocide, uh, if those truth, justice, and reconciliation councils in Rwanda are still going on to date, you know. And then finally, education plays a critical role in preventing and combating hatred, you know. Rwanda is another good example when it comes to this because uh, it's almost illegal uh, to, dem to, to present yourself as a member of a certain tribe in Rwanda, you know. So they are, they are kind of forcing people to be educated, to get away from uh, hating each other and killing each other. Anyhow, um, I just want to hear your own perspective, uh, KD Hall. I was really excited for our conversation today. I just want to uh, invite you to share your own perspective. There's no medicine to cure hatred. What does this bring to your mind? Oh, man, there's no medicine to cure hatred. Um, I agree. Um, totally agree with you. And as I work through crises, um, when I think about hatred in particular, especially as it relates to people, like you said, it's so it's it's like so within them that it's hard to be able to pull it out. And I think that a lot of time hatred starts as a young age, and that's why we have to be so careful what we say in front of our children, 
and how we say it because hatred that lives in a person can start before they even have, they have a consciousness, but before you even start speaking. If you hear your parents or grandparents always speaking like ill will about something over you, now you will have an opportunity to make a choice, but it's harder. It's almost like that same concept where um, it's so much easier to be able to work with young people to give them the resources and everything that they need so that they can be overall successful adults. And when I use the word success, I don't mean it in like an American term. I mean success by what that person deems as success. Um, so when you think about something like hatred, it really has nothing to do with the other person. It has all to do with the person that has the hatred and it's dangerous. Um, and I think it's very dangerous because when you hate, you, you're putting so much energy towards that, where if you took that same amount of energy and put it towards something that you love, I think you would get so much more out of it. Another thing, Simon, that I want to share with you that a lot of people don't know because I don't use my um, real name in business, it's just been so much easier for me to go by KD. But my my legal name is Kekila, and it means I love you. It means I love you in the Swahili language. And I always knew that as a young kid. And I would say, as I have gotten older, of course, you know, I, I don't show up in love all the time. But I will say that when I was a young kid and I was a lot more, um, I didn't know as much. Um, whenever I came around, I'll tell people my, my name. It just made them so happy. I mean, just to know, like, I love you. Like, it, it's, it's a Swahili name. And I'm so grateful my mom gave it to me that I even gave it to my daughter. So I have a junior as well. And I think that even with my kids, my especially my like my eight-year-old, sometimes I'll even say things that's like not okay. And I'll say it around her, um, not intentionally, I'm just saying it out loud. And she'll say things like, Ma, have you thought about maybe that person had a bad day before they came in here and maybe something's happening with them above and beyond what you think? This is an eight-year-old. She was seven talking like this. Um, and so when I think about hatred, it's not something that people are born with. It's something that you're taught. And a lot of times hatred comes from also people being um, scared to be their authentic selves. Um, and I can share a little bit more about that later, but yeah, I, I actually like it a lot. And it's almost like hatred and love cannot live in the same body. It just can't, it's impossible. Um, at the same exact time, it's impossible. I love that. I love that a lot. And thank you for sharing with us, you know, your real beautiful name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For those who are joining us, my guest here is, uh, Katie Hall who is the founder of KD Foundation and uh, an incredible lead. I was just listing some of her accomplishments earlier and literally I have more. I have more that I wanted to highlight. <laughs> but I want you to take us back. Take us back to maybe a moment when you're 8 to 16 where you feel that this inspiration came from. We lost you for a moment, KD. I know you're still here. Um, yes. I ask my guests to share with us a story uh about a, ch a childhood story that continues to drive you as a leader today i share my own story that when i was about eight years old uh my mother gave me a bicycle kd you're off camera again i don't know what's going on with your system but i just want you to know uh, my mother gave me a bicycle and i began distributing milk and bread in my neighborhood and so I ask my guests this question because I just want to know what is it that drives you as a leader and where did it come from? Uh, so, KD, when you're back on camera, I just want you to be able to share with us your own story. We lost KD here for a second. Uh, technologies like that. Uh, Sometimes it takes a minute to uh, get these things uh, right. Hey, KD, did you hear my last question? I just want to make sure beginning of it and then it went out yeah so i love asking my guests this question a childhood story uh that inspires who you are uh, as a leader today you know uh, whether it was around when you were eight like me or whether it was when you were younger or older what is it that happened uh in your upbringing that really brings out the leader that you are today Oh, that's such a great question. Um, and did you say like, something about a story as well? That sort right, of like, right. I think, um, so two things, the, there's <laughs> the little engine that could, <laughs> I know that sounds so silly because it's a child's book. It really is, but the little engine that could, and I think that that 
when I, if I put something on my life, that's me. Um, I always find a way to be able to make things work. And it, it used to be funny in the beginning of my career, I would hear, oh man, Kay, Kay is going to try to put a square into a circle or like, she's going to make it work. And I really believe that that comes from my childhood, the way I was raised. I'm one of six children, one of five girls back to back and I'm number four. So I sort of, <laughs> I sort of was born into this. And when I think about as a young child, um, even as young as four, I always knew that I would work with people. At that age, I remember walking around a house telling my parents, well, I'm going to have a center for people experiencing homelessness, and I'm going to have a television show so I could be able to reach the masses. I really sort of been on the same path since I've been a young child. And I think that there was like influences that was helpful. Uh, one of those for me, at least growing up, I was able to see a black woman on TV. And in my case, that was Oprah. It's not about who Oprah is as a person, but it was being able to see that image. And that's when they say representation is so important. I agree with that because I was able to see an image at a very young age and I was able to look at my life. I grew up in Detroit, um, urban city. And the way I grew up, um, we always gave back. It was a part of us. So like community service. And when I do my foundation, sometimes people will look at me like, wow, why do you care so much? I don't take a dollar for my nonprofit. Most people do. And it's nothing wrong with that. But for me, the nonprofit is like my price to admission to living. That's how I look at it. And community service has always been in my life. Like we always did it. And so like, I don't know any difference. Um, I am definitely a woman that likes to um, have success financially as well, because I know what finances do in this world. Um, even having a daughter living with sickle cell anemia, I think back to when we first had her and we didn't have a lot of finances, how sick she was. And once we were able to dig in ourselves and figure out about the right herbs to use and looking at her now at eight, and she barely goes to the hospital for any type of sickle cell crises, right? And so it's really just being able to live both lives at the same time because none of us are a singular person right we don't just do one thing and i think when i heard you read my resume i'm like wow how did i have time to do those things but really it's almost like ingrained it's, it's part of who i am um for me personally i like to do a film or two per year regardless if i'm submitting it for an emmy or not because it's a way of me expressing you know what I'm saying? Like that creativity and getting it out. And when I think back to when I was a child, it was so many of us that we had to be creative. We had to create games. We had to create ways of making money. And I just remember as a child with my siblings, I'm so grateful. Like we, we had to be creative. Our parents had to go to work, um, you know, and I love them so much. We were in an urban city and it's just what it was. And we had to come together, the six of us, to really understand, hey, how are we gonna be able to make money to get extra things that our parents can't get for us? Or, you know, live in the city, uh, especially a city like Detroit back in the 80s, there's a lot of fights and things. How are we gonna be able to defend each other, right? When we're fighting out, out in the streets or whatever the case may be. Um, I just think it's really, really important that in your childhood, um, and when you have children, and I kind of struggle with this with my own kids, to be honest with you, you have to show them more than one way of doing things. Um, when I think back to when I just wanted to be a journalist, um, although I still had the community service side in me, that would not have been a healthy career for me, just strictly journalism. Because as much as we're gaining, like I really feel that you have to give as well. It's a part of the karmatic uh, cycle. You give and you take, you know what I mean? And so I, I do believe in giving. Maybe sometimes I give too much um, when it comes to our girls, but I'm okay with that. So like I always tell people, if anybody's going to get over on me, it's going to be our young girls on a rise because I have a certain level of compassion for them. Because I think about when I was a child, what that program would have done for me. And then I just think about how many things happen to young girls and boys that make them vulnerable at such a young age and then they never get a chance to like talk about it and then we see them turn into these adults with anger issues or 
anxiety issues and it makes you wonder, man, what happened in their childhood that they weren't able to get over? And although we have had a lot of crises and a lot of pain in my childhood, I also had a lot of opportunity to lead and to be creative as even as a young child. I mean, I remember um, being six years old, seven years old and being a part of the Swahili club the chess club and leading in those clubs. And that's just always been um, a course of my life, um, just always leading from a very young age. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. I love that. I love that because there's another African proverb that says, if you want to get things done, find a busy person, you know? <laughs> and <laughs> now I know who I should look for when I need a film produced, you know, when I need yeah. things done, you know? <laughs> So congratulations, you know, on all the amazing work you do. Uh, and yeah, and also the way that you parent, you know, the way that you've studied your child to really understand their needs and to understand, you know, you just spoke about something here, always giving your children an alternative way to solving problems, you know, not just one way, you know. Uh, and that's what this proverb for today is also speaking about, that there's no medicine to cure hatred, you know. But there, there is probably therapy, you know, to cure hatred. You know, there is probably a, a certain form of education to cure hatred, but there is no medicine to completely eradicate it, you know. But we know that it could be managed in a certain way, you know. Uh, anyhow, I love that. And well, I want you to go ahead. I like part of the issue is that um, as parents and grandparents and anyone that's around your children, we're so concerned with indoctrinating young people that we don't let them be themselves. And I'm not gonna lie, it's hard sometimes because like my daughters, they're so, uh, they don't mind asking questions um, and they don't mind in a healthy way challenge, challenging the status quo as well. But it's like hatred is one of those things where like you see it all the time where a white young boy would go into school and shoot up the school. And they're like, how did this happen? Well this white young boy was at home probably hearing, even if his parents didn't take action, probably hearing his parents use horrible words about people like myself or people like you. Um, and so then it makes that kid go out there and start seeing the world through their parents or their grandparents' eyes. And that's very sad. So I even try myself with my girls, which is hard to like not try to live through them, but try to get them to live. I'm trying to give them a platform so they don't have to Go through some of the same obstacles as as myself but it's, it's a hard it's a delicate balance because you don't want to say things um that they hear because they'll bring things up years later to you kids um and so I'm, I'm careful with my words and i make a lot of mistakes as well um but even in making those mistakes i try not to constantly make the same mistakes over and over again yeah it's a it's a it's a definitely a delicate balance it's a delicate it, balance because sometimes I also have to explain to my children that, hey, you know, I grew up in Kenya, you know, where if you did that to your parent or if you did that to your sibling, you'd be spanked by all adults around you. You know, everybody would be so mad, you know. And so you find that from them behaving so poorly, they come back and say, wow, tell me more about that, you know, tell me more about that. So out of curiosity, you are able to educate them about an alternative way of handling challenges that they might have amongst themselves or even with you, you know? Uh, yeah. Because here in America also, the way life is designed is that you are always with your children, you know? You are always, either you're with them, and even if they're playing somewhere, you're always watching them, you know? <laughs> but yeah, we, we I grew up, free you know i was telling another parent at a soccer game recently that look at this age i would leave our house on friday and come back on sunday you know but oh. my <laughs> but my parents knew where i was they just didn't keep track of me every step i made uh, yeah. and there were no cell phones but they still knew exactly where i was you know so i grew up uh, in the community, in the village, you know, and the and your your parents' concern about you are the neighbors' concern about you, uh, but here it's slightly different, slightly different. Um, I want us to go just a little bit deep into the work that you do with KD Foundation. I know that you created the College Ambassador Program. 
uh, I want you to just pick some of the incredible activities you do with your foundation, but focus on one that gives you the most pride in this moment. Oh, Girls on the Rise. Uh, Girls on the Rise is one of our programs that we created through our um, college ambassadors. And we actually created this program six, seven years ago, and we couldn't get the funding right away. So we kept like going out looking for funding and we kept not being funded. And we said, you know what? We got something. Let's just hold it as a one day conference every year until we get enough funding to hold it as a program. And we stayed diligent to that. And I'm so happy that we did, because when I look at where we are now, we have eight girls living in Nigeria. We have 42 girls in the US, including one in Florida this year alone. And even today, and I, I really do apologize for being late. I was up very late last night and I kind of overslept. But even today we're taking a bus and we're taking the kids down to Olympia to advocate um, and to teach them how to advocate. We scheduled an appointment for them with our governor. Um, and the reason why is that we found out last week that one of our biggest funder, which is a program called ESSER, which is usually people like ourselves, like black and brown um, nonprofits, we, all of our funding was redirected to larger organizations and larger entities. And at first I got upset, but I said, you know what, Keila, this is a learning opportunity. Let's take the girls down to Olympia to meet with legislation. Let's get them to write letters to legislation and let me write the governor and see if he's gonna meet with us. And he is, he's gonna meet with us about our programs. And so what we do is we have an online leadership program and we do come together in person four times within that six month window. And we learn about leadership. We learn about self-discovery and self-discovery is so important because I don't want young girls to think hey, if I'm doing it, I want to do it exactly like KD. No, I need you to look at my story as inspiration and I need you to do it exactly like you. And the great thing is with the concepts that we go through is things like teaching them how to negotiate, problem solve, to your point, um, how to be able to look at win-win situations versus I win, you lose. I think that that's a concept in America that I just don't like, never liked it. It's like, it's a thing, like in order, and maybe it's the whole world, in order for me to win, you have to lose. And I believe in abundance and that I can win and you can win at the same time. And so what we found over the last five years is that these competencies that we work with, with our girls, which we call like our girls on a rise creed, um, it's really wonderful. And, you know, Simon, we work with black girls, brown girls, and we also work with all girls around the state. And I'm gonna tell you why. Because in this state in particular, there's a lot of funding here. And there's also a divide between where you live and where, where you grew up at. And what we try to do is break down all those barriers so that when these girls become 25 and 30, no matter where they came from, they can lean on each other to be able to do whatever they can lean on each other a lot better um they could be able to advocate for one another within these systems that we live in because we do live in systems and you know at least in america i can only speak from where i was you know raised there's so many systems here and when you talk about freedom um and the freedom you had as a child we don't have that same amount of freedom never did as children and even when i think about my own kids i think that the one thing that I do do that I probably better be cautious of as that my kids get older is sometimes I am like, no, you can't do that. You can't do this. You can't do that because of fear of something happening, right? Like fear and you're right. Our kids are with us all the time. And I don't necessarily know if that's a healthy thing. I think everybody needs some form of outlet and, you know, we do the best that we can. But when I think about what we have to do, to get someone to watch our kids, we're paying thousands of dollars. You know what I mean? Like it's so expensive. And so it, it does become one of those situations. I'm actually currently trying to figure out like, okay, how do I redo my life right now? Because I'm really busy. My kids are growing up too. And so they, they actually need a lot more of my time. How do I balance all of this? And so it's having this conversation this morning is so important to me because I'm actually thinking about long term i turned 40 last year so i'm thinking like okay what does the next 40 years look like it's not going to be the same as the last 40. how do i make this next 40 very impactful but how do i also rest you know what i mean like it, it we have this analogy of 
you know, sleep when I die or no rest. And that's just, you have to rest. Like you have to rest to be able to recoup. And so like, that's something that I would say it's been a long journey for me. And I'm still on that journey of learning even how to rest. Yeah, yeah. It's just what you just said about rest is everything, you know. Uh, yeah. And I was, I was, I went to bed after almost at 2 a.m. last night. So we, we were in kind of a similar situation yeah, yeah. <laughs> for different reasons, though. But rest is key, especially for leaders, especially for people juggling so many things, especially for parents. If you don't rest, you will not show up the best for your children. If you don't rest, you will not show up the best for your business, the best for your clients. And in my case, the best for my viewers and listeners too, you know, when I'm tired, I, I don't do good here, but I still show up. Showing up is so important. You can never not show up once you commit to something just show up even if it's for a short while and say hey uh i'm here for a short while but i have to take my rest you know <laughs> yeah yeah i do think that that's one um link that we have to make sure that this new generation don't miss like that showing up part um i feel like the new generation they're cool with resting it's the work and it's you know what i'm saying like you said your word is everything. And then when you agree to something, making sure that you're available to actually do it. I t totally agree with you. Thank you. So now I want us to talk a little bit about COVID-19, uh, you know, our community, the black community, whether it's Africans or uh, the uh, diasporic African-Americans, you find that in the beginning, we thought that COVID-19 was targeting white people. And so we were just having a party, you know, and then suddenly <laughs> it started impacting our community uh, and the miscommunication about it continues until today. And uh, part of the reason why we are here is because Health Commons Project uh, was recently selected by the Washington State Department of Health and uh, given significant funding that is directed towards community-based organizations like your foundation and uh, and other organizations similar to your organization that are already known to be doing significant work when it comes to solving COVID-19 misinformation and creating programming that uh, helps mitigate COVID-19 in general within Washington state, but particularly within the African diaspora community. So share with us, you know, during COVID-19, uh, how did it impact your community? What are some of the activities that you all did to, 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 uh, to fight back? And what did you do with uh, funding if you are able to access funding through the Washington State Department of Health and Health Commons Good, Health Commons Project? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's so good. Um, so a few things. During COVID, we actually, that's when our program grew the most, because what we found is that, especially here, like we were not outside for like 18 months, <laughs> like, like literally, they even, if you remember, or, you know, if you've um, visited, like they closed down all of our state parks. So there was nowhere to go. The schools were closed. The only thing that was open was marijuana stores and grocery stores. And that was it. Even the parks were closed. <laughs> and so we had to get creative at home because we had a one-year-old and a four-year-old so we had all this energy running through the house and no outlet schools went online so in, in our personal life we made a ritual that we were going to the parks anyway and so sometimes we would hop the gates with the kids just to get that walking because there was nowhere to walk even outside they were really shut things down and what we knew is that being in a house like that could not be healthy. Um, we needed to get fresh air and we needed to get moving with our legs. So that's what we did personally. We did a lot of walking. We became closer as a family too, because we it was just us, you know what I mean? You weren't really having friends over or anything like that. On a business sense, the business grew by about 400% during COVID because everybody needed to communicate digitally and communication firms did really well. I actually made, four films during COVID because we were on a pandemic. So it's like, ain't nothing else to do. We may as well make some movies. <laughs> and so we made films and all of those films were Emmy nominated, which I'm so excited about when I, now that I think back on it. And for our girls, um, the Department of Health may have funded this for us back then. They gave us funding to really talk about COVID-19 and 
what we thought about the state of how people were responding to COVID-19 and leadership. And our girl, and I'm gonna send some to you so you can look at them. They were wonderful. Like these were like 11, 12, 13 year old girls saying, listen, why are our parents not involved in solving COVID when they have children, they have a lot to lose. Why are our political leaders involved? Why is it not the actual scientists and the doctors taking the lead of it? So the girls, we really challenged their thinking to really think about, hey, there's gonna be other crises like this in your lifetime. What can we learn from COVID and how do we adapt? And I think part of it, to be honest with you, I don't think that we totally learned from COVID because we just did not. And it's like, hey, even simple things like air filtration systems. I was talking to a woman two days ago and she's like, well, since COVID is down now, it's causing our um, energy bill too much. We're gonna take off this air filtration out of our building where there's a thousand people at because COVID's down. I just think that we're not thinking in a sense of future thinking and learning from what happened during COVID and how that will happen again if we're not if we don't learn from it. I mean, when you look at when you look at the clock a hundred years prior to that, you saw people running around with masks on too. You know what I mean? You really did. You saw there was a lot happening as well. So it's like every if we're not learning and if we're not documenting, and that's part of why I do films to document history. If we're not documenting and we're not sharing, and I think that this is a part of how we can really leverage our elders too. Um, sometimes we look at elders as if, you know, oh, they did their part. They have nothing else, no value to bring. Elders are going to be so important to um, being able to give that knowledge down to the next generation and so that we can pass that knowledge over as well. And I think the problem is sometimes we become either too competitive with the generations and not wanting to pass the knowledge or not wanting to see the next generation come in. But it's very problematic when you think about the big picture if we're not sharing information. So COVID-19 was life-changing. It really was. It was life-changing for medical. It was life-changing for um, uh, grocery workers. And it was life-changing for communicators. I don't think we got enough credit for what we went through during COVID. We were busy and we were in everybody's business. You too, were podcasting, you were probably extremely busy. Yeah, this started as a result of COVID-19. At the very beginning of COVID-19, uh, a friend actually committed suicide, you know. Uh, and so I, I wanted an outlet. This was an outlet for African fathers here in America because he was an African father in America. And so I just felt that, uh, you know, where is, an, where is an immediate outlet considering the fact that we were also in lockdown, you know. And so... Uh, this has served me very well, and uh, it's become part of my business now, you know, to to also teach other people how to do this and also for people to learn how to tell their stories digitally. Uh, so I'm just so inspired by all the incredible work that you do, and uh, I just want to take a second here to recognize a lot of our guests who are joining us on uh, on, on Facebook. I see... I see Jacqueline Ware, who is an amazing supporter of this show from the very beginning, actually, uh, joining us here in Seattle. By the way, if you're watching, let us know your city or your country so that we give you a quick shout out. I see that Lavender is also saying, Kakela, I love you. <laughs> and then uh, Cubs is joining from the Midwest, also saying hello. Uh, Stella is saying hello, also joining from Kenya. Uh, Martin... Uh, and Stella are actually, Martin, Stella and Lavender are part of the One Vibe team, part of my team. Uh, they're all saying hello. Uh, and then Eric, uh, Eric is also saying, uh, I'm doing well, my brother. I'm tuned in full time. Eric, you've been quite a, an amazing supporter of this show. I wish I made more time for us to talk when I used to see you growing up in Manyata. So this time when I come back home, I will have to look for you <laughs> so that we can drink some some porridge together, you know. It's it's amazing, uh, KD Hall, to see people that uh, you grew up um, around uh, just watching your show and uh, kind of seeing how you're doing uh, mm -hmm. by the things that you're doing, you know. <laughs> yeah. Anyhow, anyhow, I'm just grateful that we had this time together here today. Uh, and I just want you to take a moment 
and uh, speak about uh, Health Commons Project. You know, uh, we, we already said that you, we talked about, you know, um, what you could do with the funding uh, if the funding was available through Health Commons Project and the Department of Health. But I want you to speak about this Saturday. I don't know if you're coming to the dinner uh, that is also sponsored by Health Commons Project and the Department of Health uh, at Roomba Notes, you know, where we are, we are going to have, um, you know, representation from our communities uh, and we are going to have a conversation about how this money is going to be distributed. We have yeah. three chefs, you know, uh, from different African countries, Nigeria, Congo, and Kenya, joining us for that dinner. So if you can bring your girls, if you can make it, it would be incredible. Are you aware about this dinner, by the way, KDO? Yeah, I didn't know about this. Man, I will check in maybe when we get off the line to see if I'm able to make it to that. That sounds amazing. Um, and it's yeah, I think you should, at least you, you should make it. I'll make sure I send you the link uh, so that you can you can learn more about it. Uh, yeah. But the, the food itself is going to be incredible. Even if I, you don't listen to anything else, the food is going to be amazing. We've, uh, you know, uh, partnered with some of the best uh, African chefs in this uh, state, you know. Uh, so I'll share with you more information about that. Let's but... I yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would love for you to be there. That way we can connect in person and continue building. Uh, you know, I, I just feel that what you do, uh, even though you are a storyteller, sometimes, uh, you know, storytellers need their stories to be told. So I just need more oh. people to know about the work you do, you know. <laughs> so real, because storytellers, we're always last. And um, it's actually been a struggle. It's something I'm working on, actually. It's funny you bring it up. <laughs> Excellent. So is there anything I did not ask you that you want to bring up uh, as we close our session today? Uh, I need you to think about that for a moment while I share with all our viewers uh, about the Madaraka Festival that I have been producing for the last, uh, I've been doing Madaraka Festival for the last nine years. You know, this is the ninth year of Madaraka Festival. It's happening at Benaroya Hall on May 26th. And uh, it's also going to be in New York on May 16th, uh, you know, in Dallas on May 24th, in Atlanta on May 21st. Uh, and, you know, the grand finale is here in Seattle at Benaroya Hall. Uh, this is the first time we are doing a national tour with this festival. So if you don't have your ticket yet, go to madarakafestival.com. And KD Hall, I need your girls to, to, to show up and I need to talk to you about this one too. <laughs> Oh, amazing. Oh, man, let's definitely talk about that because our, our yeah. girls and we need them to be out in the community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we need to talk. I have some ideas. So uh, we'll talk right after this. But go ahead and share with us, um, you know, your perspective. Uh, what is it that I did not ask? And, uh, you know, also, I want you to make sure you share with our viewers and our listeners how they can support your foundation. You know, what's your website and how can they donate? Maybe we start with that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the website is www.kdhallfoundation. So that's KD, uh, as in David Hall, H A L L foundation.org. And we are actually doing our very first fundraiser. We've never fundraised before, although we're about to be 10 years old. And so we are doing a fundraiser um, for the entire second quarter. And so this will be a great time. You know, when you think about our girls, uh, we do pay them. They're in a paid leadership program. Each girl maybe get about $350. Um, and our Nigerian girls get about $250 US dollars. And it's so important to them uh, once they're able to show that they were paid for the work that they did. Um, so I think that it's very important to support organizations like ours. Um, and Because when you support us, you're supporting girls. And when you support a girl, you're like really educating an entire nation. Um, the other thing I would say is when you ask about what else, um, the Health Common Project, even how we met was just amazing. Like I'm outside, um, I, my bag busts open and everything falls on the floor and a representative from the Health Commons Project comes over and helped me. And we're sitting there talking and like, enjoy. Like at first I was upset when my bag busted and when she came over and talked to me, it was just joy in our conversation. And she started to talk about the work that the Health Common Project does. And I'm like, man, it sounds like we should be connected. And we spoke the very next day. 
And then I was connected over with two other ladies on that Monday. And we've been speaking ever since. And so like these type of projects are important. And I'm so happy that the Department of Health chose an organization like the Health Common Project to be able to distribute funds, to be able to help and support our communities. Because a lot of times organizations like ours, we're last to get funding. And we have to do the most work because we get like 20% of the funding in some of the larger organizations. And with Health Common Projects, it feels like this is a real lift a real community lift. So the organizations, we're all working towards a common goal. And I personally like projects like that. And I am hopeful that we become, you know, one of the recipients and that our girls are able to really uh, take those dollars and turn them into real projects. When you talk about podcasting, we're actually hoping to start our own podcast in the fall. So maybe you could teach us. Uh, like, But podcasting is another way that we tell our stories. And to your point, we really haven't done a great job at telling our story for the foundation and that's going to change. And part of this is because we've been telling everyone else's stories. That's amazing. I would love to uh, help with that. I would love to, uh, you know, work with you in many other areas. Uh, so just wait, we will, we have work to do. We have work to do. I feel that uh, there's another proverb that says, uh, I have so many proverbs. <laughs> and my daughters have started making fun of me with all these proverbs. They are like, have you made that up? You know, and I'm like, no, 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 I didn't make it up. It's a real proverb. But this one says, uh, you know, one finger cannot kill a bed bug. You know, you have to use two fingers. And so the problems in our community, not one organization can solve it. You have to collaborate, you know. Uh, that's why Health Commons uh, project brought us here together, you know. Uh, so uh, without collaboration, uh, there would have never been, uh, you know, there would have never been uh, freedom for, for, for black people and women to vote in this country. Without collaboration, there would have never been a free African nation where multiple countries are now free to run their own affairs, you know. So it's very, very important to remember that spirit of Ubuntu, that spirit of Harambe that requires collaboration. So those are my, my, my closing comments. And uh, KD Hall, you know, just continue on with the work that you're doing. Uh, you know, sometime the reward might not be immediate, but it's going to come. You know, it's going to come. And maybe it will come through your girls, you know. Uh, so I just deeply appreciate you. So... Uh, we'll end the show and then I'll reach out to you. I'll make sure I, I, I email you immediately and uh, give you my phone number so that we can connect and I'll share with you links to some of these events that I'm talking about. But I'm really, really honored uh, for the time that we had today and I, I deeply appreciate you. Thank you so much. And I deeply appreciate you. Thank you. Excellent. African Father in America you are listening to African Father in America podcast by Simon Javanokello live from Seattle, Washington.